Would you care to step outside? We need to get to this. Superman. What is going on here? The lasso of has to Warning, PC and RMD contains adult language and discussions. If you're easily offended, do not continue to listen. Awesome. Oh, sorry. That's your signal. That means we have to go now. Trains are back, bitches! Hello, welcome everyone to DC on RMD. This is the Titans edition. The first show in a couple of years for the Titans edition. <laughs> it is. And David, coincidentally, the final. <laughs> the final, yes. The final show or episode of our Titans edition. Sad to say, and I say that a little bit of a with a question mark because I'm I'm not sure if I would want more Titans based on the last the season dip in quality. Yeah, it, it made it made a uh, Steve disappear into the multiverse like Gar. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I had mentioned to you guys that I would like to put together a final wrap up of Titans because there has been a lot of DC shows that we have just abruptly quit covering because of quality issues we're at we're at the point now in podcasting where it's like well listen if we're not enjoying ourselves then why are we doing this why are we punishing ourselves (laughs) so we just stopped a lot of things but titans i didn't feel was one of those shows at the time when we chose not to cover it there were other things that were going on but as it works out dave or i should say it kind of works out because no one liked the final season. Steve called me and said, dude, do you really want to do a final discussion? I can't even get through this. So <laughs> I uh, called you and said, David, you're old reliable. Because Will I you forced be myself. <laughs> I forced myself through this because I had to do because like Titans was really good. I mean, the first three seasons were some of my favorite comic book shows that I've seen in a very long time up there with doom patrol and, uh, Moon Knight and a lot of comic book shows that came out. Titans came out and especially on the strength of season three, where I believe that was some of the best story narrative storytelling we've ever seen in a, in a comic book TV show. So I was hyped to see what they would do going to Metropolis. And also now we're going to get a, You know, season three, I looked at season three and I said, okay, we got Batman. We got a Batman centralized Titan story that's centered around uh, Grayson and it's centered around Todd and it's centered around the Batman characters. By the end of that, it was, it was alluded that, oh, we're going to go to Metropolis now. So we're going to focus on Connor. And I was like, okay, an entire season of Titans to revolve around a Superman story because that's what I thought. It would be like. Yes. And then they cast the actor to play Lex Luthor. His name eludes me currently, who I absolutely love. Let me get his name here so I don't look like a moron. Titus Welliver play Lex Luthor, who I absolutely love Titus Welliver. He's a fantastic actor. So when it was announced that he was going to be playing Lex, I got really excited. And then they announced that Joseph Morgan from Vampire Diaries and the originals was going to play Sebastian Sanger. I was like, okay, this <laughs> season is going to be really good. And unfortunately, it wasn't just the worst season of Titans to date, but it was probably one of the worst series or seasons of DC live action shows. Oh, easily. Because I can't say it's the absolute worst but it actually is one of the worst seasons it's right up there with the final few seasons of the flash and the final few seasons of arrow yes it's that poor in quality that's how far it dropped that's my biggest problem with this david because you had the first two seasons which in my opinion were comparable to hbo programming yes high quality acting high quality scripting there were some issues with the scripting but overall it worked Directing was top notch. The overall production quality was out of this world for a DC show, especially because we were at that time, we were more acclimated to the stuff that was being produced for the CW. 
So when they decided to launch Doom Patrol, Titans, Swamp Thing, and Stargirl on the DC Universe app or streaming service, it was like a gift from the gods. Yeah. Like, holy crap. This is what we've been wanting. High quality DC live action mature shows. And we got it. And we got it for two and a half years. It, the dip in quality started to happen in the latter half of the third season. Yeah. And it came to complete fruition in the fourth season in the manifestation of a complete mess incoherent series that didn't have a specific direction wishy-washy in characterization and motivation there was no defining spirit about the series or i should say aesthetic whereas or theme was there even a fucking theme you you thought there would be especially with the first two to three episodes i thought that the the theme was going to be about like is paternal maybe paternal like, like uh, de connor dealing with the relationship of being luther and you know clark uh, superman's clone and having to deal with that identity crisis trying to deal with you know especially trying to find out who your identity what, what your yes, identity was. what is your identity and does your genetic relation like say to a biological father, does that constitute identity? Does that mean you will have a similar identity? How do you, how do you make sense of your own identity? Especially, is it something that you actually cultivate yourself or is it handed down? Is it hereditary? That seemed like they, what they were trying to do with those opening episodes, with the inclusion of Lex Luthor, with the inclusion of even Superman using his name, yes. never really showing him, but his presence was there. And then you had a Trigon with Brother Blood and... Rachel Roth, you're like, okay, I see what they're doing, but it never came to Ever. complete fruition. Yeah, especially when you're dealing with the narrative. I thought the with the first three episodes, the parallel was going to be Sanger and Connor because, you know, you have Sanger who's dealing with the idea of being told that his destiny is brother blood. Right. And, you know, it's, and in it's his, stipulated based it's, on his father. Exactly. And then you do that with the parallel with Connor with, oh, you're your biological clone of Lex Luthor and Superman. And obviously, because of what happens to Lex, you have to live in Lex's shadow now. Okay. But you're also playing with the idea of identity. Yeah. Me in, in crisis because you have Connor who's like, okay. Well, I have a good side. I know I do. I'm also genetically connected to the greatest superhero in history, but I'm also genetically connected to one of the worst villains in history. You have Brother Blood, who is literally at conflict with becoming evil or maintaining the status quo yes. of his own pathetic life. Yeah. That's a beautiful parallel there and then when you it went nowhere and when you throw it with the whole idea that sanger isn't totally a bad person because he wants to help he wants to help a person like Corey. he wants to you know listen to the titans in the very beginning yeah he, he actually goes out to help them mm -hmm. at some point so that shows that basically he has this proclivity of actually being a good person yeah, he's destined, supposedly destined by this cult to become Brother Blood and be this villain. But does he have to be? Because it's obvious he doesn't, a part of him, not really sure he wants that. Yeah. But like, and that's that's why it's it's so frustrating that after you get past the three episodes, it's just like what you said. It becomes a cluster F of ideas that basically they say, oh, we got to throw in Gar and his connection to the red. We got to throw in Corey and the Tamaranians and we got to all bring that all together. Oh, we got to bring in Doom Patrol also in the middle of this for some strange reason. They were trying <laughs> to do too many things at once and partly that has, or I should say potentially that has to do, that could have to do with the fact that the show was being canceled with James Gunn going on a canceling spree or a killing spree of just shutting down everything that he doesn't want to be a part of his world. So you had the showrunners trying to 
bring a fair amount of closure to all of our character arcs. And I will say if I had to pinpoint one pro in the season, let's forget all of the background noise that that uh, conflicts with some of the closure. I will say that the way they brought closure to all of our characters was satisfying. The closure itself, when they finally got to it, but how we got to it was messy. Oh my and God. Extremely incoherent. But mm-hmm. seeing Dick Grayson and Corey come together at the end, which we kind of always knew they would probably end up together. Yeah. And then you had Rachel shunning the evil, the dark side of her identity and becoming more pure in spirit. You had Gar becoming one with the red, which I will say, even though it came out of nowhere, I will say the episode that featured Gar and his journey through the multiverse and the connectiveness of the red was probably the best episode of the entire season. Oh, it was the most fun season. It was the most fun episode because we had so many things that were showing the possibilities of what the red can possibly do. I mean, in other shows, me and you have talked about the mythos in DC when it comes to the darker side of DC. There's also the idea in that area that the DC universe itself is built between this war Mm -hmm. between the red, the green, the black or the rot and the raw or the rot. Yeah. And like, that whole concept in the DC universe is such a awesome storytelling device and for them to bring it in and use Gar to kind of be the crux of that. It was really interesting and seeing the aspects of like what they feel the red can do. Yeah. I almost feel like they were setting up another backdoor pilot. Yeah. Didn't it? Cause it didn't feel just like it didn't feel simply like closure. It felt like they were opening a door to another TV series as if this was planned long before they were told that everything they're doing is going to be canceled because it was so well crafted. That's why I say it's the best episode because it's close ended. Yeah. It, it, It relies on nothing but Gar. And it sets up stuff and then knocks it out the park before the episode ends. Mm-hmm. And that's why I feel like ultimately that's probably the best episode of the season because of how it's, uh, yeah, it's disconnected from the rest of the season. And that's why it's better than oh, the yeah. rest of the episodes. Because it, I honestly feel that whole thing with Gar, I guarantee you, if they were given the chance to continue Titans after this season, if they did. I, I agree with you, number one, with your point that I think the team was destroyed because they all panicked once James Gunn started canceling yeah. stuff. Because in the long, uh, they probably had long-term ideas for the entire season where we'll focus on this character's mythos, we'll focus on this character's mythos. Next season would have probably focused more on Gar and the Red and that bo- battle between the Green, the Red, and the Rot. I just have this particular feeling that basically that was going to be the the following season. Unfortunately, they were like, Oh man, we have this great idea and we're going to introduce in this season. We got to wrap it up. We got to wrap it up. We don't want this to get destroyed by anybody else. So let's wrap up the whole thing with red really fast. And by doing so it creates the creates like what you said, this nice contained story but it makes the entire rest of the season seem irrelevant to, to that. Yeah. And it makes it messy. Yeah. And also on top of that, even though the Gar episode was the strongest episode when it comes to writing and intent at the same time with the following episode that was connected in some, in some, in some degree, to the Gar-centric episode, you reintroduced the Doom Patrol. Yeah. Which I did like to see them. It was nice. But if viewers remember, they were no longer in the same universe. Yes. They were taken somewhere else. And Gar, also- Gar now, if these were, these were, this was the exact, now if you could say, well, it was a different Doom Patrol. It was a Doom Patrol from this universe now, but it wasn't. It was the exact same crew forget the actors we know the actors are were different but these characters and the actors that are playing them 
were the exact same Doom Patrol characters from the backdoor pilot, which was effectively disconnected because of the flashes and the arrows crisis on Infinite Earth's crossover event, where they literally state that Doom Patrol's universe is now separate from Titans. Yeah. And yet this episode completely disregards that, thereby validating, David, what I've said since day one about the CW bullshit crisis on Infinite Earths. It's meaningless. No one signed off on it. No writers are like, yep, I'm going by that. It's just something they decided to do. And especially speaks, David, to the greater problem of DC, that they have no ground, no solid ground. There are no definitive rules ever. And that's the reason why their shows that start off great, like Titans, ends up becoming a sloppy mess of incoherent shit. Yeah. And like, especially since if you are asking your audience and basically saying, telling the audience, hey, we're bringing in Doom Patrol, you know, the guys from that other show that obviously your uh, our audience loves. If you're doing that and trying to bring and trying to say that they're separate, then why are you bringing in elements of that story into Titans then by bringing in like, hey, you know, Dr. Niles Calder? Yeah, he was he, uh, he was he created this mess in search of his his goal of immortality. The only reason why that ever, ever, ever gets, uh, you know, put out there is because if you go to the original, to the show, Doom Patrol, that's Miles Calder's correct storyline. Yeah. No one in Titans knows about that. No. And <laughs> David, what makes it even more frustrating is they, the pri- the prior episode that led into him being trapped with his former crew Gar being trapped with his former Doom Patrol crew was an episode that dealt with the multiverse. So if they wanted to bring closure to Gar's storyline in a way that would make sense, they would connect the multiverse idea yeah. with the Doom Patrol yes. crew. And that's how he meets them because he crosses back over. Yeah. And then it brings ultimate closure to how he started in the series. But no. No. Now we're we're going to bypass the multiverse. We're now done with it. And now he's going to meet the Doom Patrol crew back in his universe, which makes no sense which based on the established canon. No sense whatsoever. And then it just messes up your story because by the end of it, I agree with you. I thought that entire segment with Gar was fun. It was fun. Those two episodes with him and the Doom Patrol were fun. But at the end of the day, it just is like, we go back and then you force Gar back into the main story and you're like going, you feel like, well, what was the point of the doom patrol story in concert to this? If you're not going to bring doom patrol to help, that's the bigger thing too. You mean, I was like going, okay, it was just there as a sign off. It was a salute. It was like, see you later. That's what I felt. I was like going, this was just simply so that they can just say adios. This is the end of that, that, that storyline and we'll never see it again. Yeah. Well, thanks a lot for making that feel insubstantial to the entire season then because you gave two, two fairly entertaining stories, but just belittled them in the very end. And also that episode that featured doom patrol was completely useless. Mm Mm-hmm. It was a waste of time. It really did nothing. I understand what they were trying to do. That This idea that Gar wasn't ready to leave yet, that he put himself in this place. Why he put the Doom Patrol there as well, I'm not sure. Was that even clear? Well, why, did it, why did they even have to bring Corey over to the Doom Patrol? Why did they bring Corey? <laughs> None <laughs> of it made point? sense. I mean, the jokes were there and, you know, it's funny. But like, I will say anytime you can get more Corey is a time well spent. It's a time well spent because she is my secret goddess. And I'm sorry if, if, if Starfire can be in doom patrol, that would be that, that, that just opens the, the fun door up to anything, anything yeah. that could be hilarious. I think a lot of these problems just goes right back to the fact that there's so many people at camp Warner brothers in DC that, really have no accountability to story 
there's just, there's no accountability. It's like, well, you want to do this and you want to create a crossover that says that everything's connected. Okay. But the next people we're just going to ignore that. And that crossover means nothing and nothing is connected and this story doesn't matter. So just do whatever you want. And David, guess what? I would be okay with that. If at least the writing didn't suffer. If the writing for Titan season four was so tight and then they broke canon because in the grand scheme of things, no one gives a fuck what the CW did over there. Yeah. Then fine. But the fact that they do rely on that to some degree, but then disregard it when they want to. And then the entire narrative suffers from that incoherence and lack of thought and foresight in writing. Then I have problems. Yeah. And David, at the end of the day, at the end of the day, what really destroyed this series is what destroyed Swamp Thing. Is the fact that DC and Warner Brothers don't really have a definitive idea or strategy behind anything. Because the reason why the first two seasons of Titan were so strong. And I'm going to, yes, I'm going to harken back to an old beef I've had with Warner Brothers. They destroyed themselves when they closed down the DC Universe streaming service. Because for the first time, David, in the history of DC IP, they had a specific home for DC content. And not just DC content like, say, the CW, how they became a stable for DC content. You had a home for high-quality DC content, something that we were not accustomed to when it came to live action TV shows. And they just shut it down because they decided they wanted to make a new streaming service called HBO Max. And they were going to dissolve and destroy everything they did. And then when they brought that content over, a lot of us were saying, okay, well, they're shuttering the streaming service down, the DC universe streaming service but at least they're going to continue these stories on hbo max but the difference is this david on the dcu streaming service it was more than just content it was what they relied on to make revenue it was their heart mm -hmm. they cared about it the people were producing and curating really good stories when it went to hbo max it just became one product amongst hundreds and it just became content and when you have something that's just content you don't care about the nuances you're simply trying to stock those shelves with product that people can sort through and purchase that's what happened to all of the shows and that's why you saw such a drastic dip in quality from season one to season four mm -hmm. and i would here's the funny part i would agree with you 100 percent on this is all on WB's plate. This is what uh, this is the problem with WB. However, the one thing I would add to that, it's not just WB's fault, but it's also this show running and this production team's fault for Titans because they're not they're not blameless on this because you have another show out there in the DC landscape that faced the same issues that they had. But they were able to pull off a very concise and great story in Superman and Lois. The difference between the two shows and the two, uh, the two production teams, I feel, was one team, Superman and Lois, was willing to stick to their guns and say, no, we're going to stick to our narrative. Our whole goal is to focus on that narrative. That's it. On the other side... It was a bunch of people panicking, saying, I'm never going to get my story out. I got to get my story out. I got to get this out. I got to get this out. Oh, I got to bring in this character and this character and this character. Superman and Lois, because they had such a strong, I feel a strong writing room and a strong showrunner to actually have a backbone and actually say, no, we're going to stick to our plan. And here's, here's the game. Here's the game plan we had for our season, yeah, WB basically said, we're not sure if we're going to get another season. Oh, well, we're going to get to the end of this season, the, the plan. And, you know, we're going to allow our work to push the narrative that, hey, 
bands will will drive the demand of our show up because that's how the, if you look at the landscape now so many revivals of shows have been because fans want it well uh the wb or disney or whoever decides this had such such a such a acclaim oh so many people came out and wrote up petitions for this show to come back we'll give them another season there you go i look at the the, the titans crew and i'm like going you guys panicked you guys flinched and then this is what happens now you have a messy season and now you have no one none of the fans are clamoring for titans season five what's going to happen to the titans you have nothing like that because you guys flinched yeah a lot of people just gave up they gave up watching season four some people had problems with season three i'm one of them i know you didn't i know you and steve really you guys were really on board with season three i i felt season three was okay but you started to see the cracks yeah uh, for example, their biggest mistake with season three, in my opinion, was the portrayal of Scarecrow. Um, I don't know Scarecrow that acts like the Joker. I mean, to me, he was um, an anarchist. I mean, that's is that really Scarecrow? Like, I don't remember Scarecrow. Be- his his character is really made up. And correct me if I'm wrong. You're more of a Batman guy than I am. Scarecrow or Crane, correct? As yeah, yeah, Ichabar is that his name? Yeah, Doctor Crane. Am I getting that right? Yeah, I am. Right? Yeah, yeah. He's more of a a character that's used for philosophical nuance, oftentimes psychological nuance. Yes, yes, yeah, philosophical and psychological nuance. Oh, no, absolutely. The, the Joker, you can argue there are moments and storylines that absolutely use him for the same. But just the way they are portrayed, and this is a problem I, I feel is also um, uh, something that's plaguing DC content, specifically DC villains. seems like a lot of our villains are just simply another variation of the Joker. And that's the thing. They it's all are like- maniacal. They laugh. They're crazed. And I know a lot of Batman villains are crazed. And I mean, it says something about Arkham Asylum. In fact, I believe you and I and possibly Paul discussed the fact that that's a problem in itself. (laughs) Yeah. It it says something about society and how we treat the mentally ill. Mm -hmm. So that's, that's obviously a tried and true method when it comes to the shaping of Batman villains. But when it comes to the actual portrayal, not what drives them, but the portrayal, the way the actor played Crane was just another variation of the Joker. It wasn't Scarecrow. Yeah, it wasn't Scarecrow. And I agree with, I mean, I remember us discussing about season three toward the end that, yeah, there are some legitimate gripes for like character portrayals. And the thing with with Crane. I hate, I hate, I know this is going to be really mean. I hate the new guy, the new Robin. Oh, the, you mean Tim, uh, the guy who plays Tim Drake. I, oh my yeah, He's hard to watch, man. He is. He is so podunk in the third season. If you compare him to Jason, the kid who plays Jason. And maybe that's the point because Tim Drake, by the end of the fourth season, you realize that based on what I believe what Grayson says that third time's a charm. Like yeah. he is going to be the, the true Robin optimistic, pure hero who is three times removed from Bruce, Bruce Wayne, essentially. Yes. And that Bruce Wayne is the disease that creates this darkness inside of both Grayson and Jason and, and Jason Todd. Mm-hmm. So I do like the metaphor that is great, but there are moments where I just want to punch the actor out. Like, <laughs> I don't want to, not the actor, but the way he plays the character. the character. Yes. Because like the character of Tim Drake, especially that was one of my gripes in this particular season was I love the character of Tim Drake in the comics. Yeah. Cause Tim is portrayed as like the ultimate. He is always classified as the best detective out of all of the, of all the sons of Bruce. He's the one that basically, if 
any of the sons of Bruce were to become Batman, Tim is the most optimistic because, or the best, the best choice, because he has the mind to be the world's greatest detective. Mm-hmm. And at first, when they introduced Tim Drake, I was hoping they would they would lean on that, show that Tim is more skilled, just naturally more intelligent and thoughtful than, you know, than Grayson and Todd. The because each of the sons bring in different things. Todd, uh, Jason Todd's supposed to be the I'm going to rush in and shoot first action mm-hmm. type of person, the best fighter out of all all three of the sons of Bruce. Dick Grayson's supposed to be the old, eldest brother, the one that actually can actually teach the younger brothers how, what to do and uphold the tenets of of Bruce Wayne. Tim is supposed to be the smart guy. He's the he's supposed to be you know like the not the perfect Batman, but the best Batman to call upon. And here in season four, he's almost treated like, oh, he's just like this geek. He's this, he's this naive, you know. It just felt stupid because you're in, the, you're in the middle of, in season three, you're in the middle of Gotham falling apart. It's literally turning into <laughs> a dystopian future right before our eyes. He is nobody. He has no training. He is a kid. And he's like, I want to be a hero. I want to be a hero. I want to stay. What are you going to do? You're just going to get in the way, yeah. bro. You know nothing. Yeah. You know absolutely nothing. Congratulations. You investigated. You 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 cucked your way into the stronghold of Bruce's manor is pretty much what he did. He just was a watcher. Yeah. And I do like that. But that doesn't equate to being a superhero. You're, you're a guy who watches and figures things out. I like that. Now, if they went with the narrative, because this is, I think, what the narrative they should have gone with, where it's kind of like Tim believes that what he should do is the right thing. That's it. He doesn't want to just like be glamorous and, you know, want to be the superhero lifestyle. Yeah. He wants to do the right thing. That's what they should have focused on. Yes. Instead, yes. they made him look like a, a naive douchebag yeah, david that's what it came off as he came off as a a douche that had delusions of grandeur they made him like come he up. wanted to be a hero so he can call himself a hero more than actually help people didn't it seem that way it felt more about him it felt like selfish reasons as opposed to helping people yes right yeah and it it, it turned him into what i feel especially when you get into season four and he was worthless in season four until the end, the ending, he finally became relevant, <laughs> he became relevant. but like they turned him into, and you know, I hope I don't anger too many people out there, but essentially Greta Thunberg, you know, <laughs> a person, a, a kid who basically just wants to yell and say they want to do something with no experience, with no experience, <laughs> none and not do anything. Yeah. And expect the adults to do it. And you know why? <laughs> and you know what that felt like, Dave? That felt like DC, 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 CW. It feels like that CW. Felt like CW writing. Yeah. A lot of naivety being masked as superheroism. And um, it came off as naivety and self righteousness. Like a perfect example I thought about because while I was watching this, I was trying to analyze each character and I was like looking at Tim and I'm like going, there's something about Tim that is bugging the crap out of me. And I hate it because as I said, I like the character of Tim Drake. He's also not a great actor. And it dawned on me. The motivations of Tim is the same as Batwoman. In, in the, in the CW show, Bat, uh, Batwoman. Where they, oh. where, where the character basically is, I need to do something. Suddenly I'm great at martial arts and, yeah. <laughs> and I'm a great mechanic and I'm all this and I'm this and I have all these skills just out of the blue. Isn't that indicative though of the times we live in where we have an entire generation and I am generalizing, so I apologize, but by and large, I am right. We have an entire <laughs> generation right. of individuals who don't believe they have to work to achieve anything they should just be given things and that's what these characters reflect yeah and i'm not saying it's some grand amazing metaphor for society because that would be cool no it's just the writers themselves 
their own worldviews and ideology is seeping into the development of these types of characters. And people aren't realizing as writers that is not great character development. No, not at all. It is not great character I development. I want it just because I want it. Yeah. And like the only great character development happens. Why? Because a character undergoes a journey and they, they earn this. What's, what's earning? What does that mean? And, and what does a journey mean? <laughs> what does a journey mean? You mean I can't just sit on my butt and just yell at people to do things? You mean no. I can't just constantly ask to be Robin and say I'm going to be the next Robin? <laughs> the next Robin? Dude, when he said that in season three and season four, I wanted to leap into that TV screen. <laughs> you wanted to strangle him? <laughs> He's the type of guy that you just bully in school, even though I wasn't a bully. But there's so certain guys that you just want to pick on because they looked like they were easy to pick on and they looked annoying. So well, they just wanted to see them cry. They have Napoleon. That's so mean. They have Napoleon complex. There you go. They have a Napoleon complex where it's like, oh, I, I think that this should happen because I say so. Well, are you going to do anything about it? No, that's your job. No, <laughs> no, dude, you got to go through this. I mean, like that's, and that, that was the frustrating part for me in season three was the fact that you had this really cool narrative, the Batman, you know, the redemption of Bruce Wayne, I was waiting towards the end where it was like, okay, hey, Bruce, you have a third Robin here who wants to be Robin. Mm -hmm. And you have Dick telling you about, like, you have to make up for your past sins. Never once did Bruce ever come back. And, like, you have Tim Drake. Yeah, it, it falls on Why wouldn't they bring Bruce back? Why wouldn't they bring Bruce back? He was such a great addition to the cast. I understand to some degree, why they wouldn't. There seemed to be like an effort to separate the codependency between the two, between Dick Grayson and Bruce Wayne. In a lot of ways, that was the major story arc for Dick Grayson from the first season on to rise above that, to yeah. be something else, to not be so dependent, codependent on Bruce Wayne and his own darkness to become your own person, form your own identity. So in that regard, I get why he would be missing from the fourth season, you know, to allow Dick Grayson to stand on his own which he did. That to me is another pro for the final season. It was nice to see him become an actual legitimate good leader yeah. amongst the group because when it comes to actual story, there wasn't a lot for him to do this season. He was on the outskirts of the narrative many times throughout the entire season, oh, yeah. but he was there as more of a, a mentor and a leader. He was steering the team. So, his story kind of came to the, to an end, honestly, in season three In season three and season four was just a bit of a, a denouement or an epilogue of that storyline. Mm -hmm. But the, that, but that's also one of the frustrating points is kind of like what you said, uh, what you mentioned is it's great what they did with Dick, but like in the end of season three, you had to leave the door open for Bruce to come back because remember Dove shows Dove is the one that finds Bruce. I think it's Dove and um, another, the other character that finds Bruce in the end. And he's just somewhere in like the Scottish Highlands, just committing suicide. Yeah. Trying to commit suicide. I'm like going, dark. I'm like going, okay, so we're going to just leave Bruce there. <laughs> you're not going to, you're not going no, to try that. No, I think at the end of season three, he ends up coming back. He ends up coming back, and I believe he talks to uh, Todd. I think so. At the maybe. end of three. It's been a while since I watched the, the season three. Speaking of Jason Todd, that's another travesty. Jason Todd has been one of the gems of the entire show, and he was in one episode yes. in the fourth season, and it was a good episode to bring him in. It made sense to have him do the training or a lot of the training for Tim Drake. Tim Drake. That worked. I liked it quite a bit. And I understand possibly why they didn't bring him on. If you go back to the trades prior to season four, prior to James Gunn's announcement that he's canceling everything, they were in the works of doing a spinoff Jason Todd series. 
So they were probably pulling him from this series because they were getting him ready for his own spinoff series. Yeah. And now, because we're never going to see that, what ends up happening is we don't get to see a real conclusion to Jason Todd's story. And that really sucks. That's just as bad as if we didn't get to see an ending to Dick Grayson's story. Jason Todd was a pivotal player in this series. Mm-hmm. And to have him in one episode, it, it's it, it doesn't make any sense. No, because like if you were, I I want to be, I want to be perfectly clear. If you were actually looking at this as the showrunner and saying, okay, I have this fear that they're going to cancel cancel my show at the end. I have all these elements that I were was planning on doing to introduce for the next following seasons. I would have actually cut a lot of that out then. Yeah. Don't do it. Yep. Don't do the doom patrol stuff. Nope. Don't do the, don't do the Jason Todd stuff. Focus on your narrative. Um, but focus on your narrative where your whole, your whole focus in the first couple episodes, as I said earlier in the show, Connor, Lex Luthor, Sanger, Brother Blood. Mm-hmm. Focus on that. Just give us that story. Because if you think about it, Mike, the two bright spots of this season we're talking about have nothing to do with the story because, like, the Jason You're Todd right. stuff yeah. doesn't, doesn't affect anything of the Brother Blood narrative. Nope. Doom Patrol didn't affect the Brother Blood narrative at all. It all the only thing it, it affected was like okay, Gar can control his powers more, and he's controlled to the red. Okay, well, Gar helped out more in the in the end of the of the scheme of things, but we could have gotten there without actually wasting our time. Yeah. So and and instead of instead of those two episodes or even that one moment that are good, you could have stuck to your narrative and given us a stronger narrative by giving us more details needed. Give us more ideas of like why, why Connor decides to team up with Sanger and for, for some strange reason, create a video game from LexCorp. Okay. <laughs> okay. It's so hip, David. It's so hip. All the kids will love it. They all Look, use apps. We're new. So I'm bringing in this guy to, to be a game designer. Okay. <laughs> well, David, that leads into tons of other problems I had with this series or this season. Some of which you can pinpoint the beginnings of those problems or the catalyst of those problems in earlier seasons. For example, the way they handled Connor Kent. Now, I want to be very careful how I say this because I really enjoyed Connor Kent's character throughout the entire run. Yep. But can we please speak of the massive issue? of calling him Connor Kent. And then the whole world knows he's also super boy. Will they not put it two and two together? Mm-hmm. Super boy. Connor Kent. Connor Kent. Superman. Is he Clark Kent? Like you're, <laughs> you're literally telling the world who Superman is. Plus it takes a little bit of deductive skills to figure that out. And second, In the first three seasons, Connor Kent was effectively conveyed as being extremely naive. Yes. Because he had no world experience. He was intelligent, but you can take Einstein, the man who played (laughs) Einstein, or the the man who would become the Einstein we would learn about in history. If you never gave him a book and taught him anything, all that intelligence would mean nothing because he doesn't have anything in his head. Yes. Connor Kent doesn't know things. He may be super intelligent because he's genetically connected to Lex Luthor, but he doesn't have genetic memory. And yet for some reason, he suddenly knows how to run a business he knows the ins and outs of computer systems, firewall, antivirus. <laughs> when did you learn any of these things? I'm like, okay, so you read a book in a half a second. Can we see that? 
Exactly. And, and they didn't say that, by the way, but that would have been a very half-assed attempt at least at making it believable that someone who has no world experience, who's essentially a nine-year-old, mm-hmm. suddenly can run a business and become the new Lex Luthor. Or even, here's the thing. Also, the fact that he took the name Kent, and I'm like going, we never really truly saw a scene between him and Superman that this is the reason why he takes the name Kent. Though the reason why Connor's allowed to take the name Kent is because Clark allows it. And also, are there like (laughs) genetic cloning laws that allow genetic clones to take um, all ownership, all ownership. basically yeah. essentially becoming the heir of an estate because in how, <laughs> how the hell Lex Luthor dies. Yes. And Connor Spoiler Kent alert. inherits everything. Yes. Everything. He's not his son. He's half a clone of the man. Yes. Now, did they say that Lex Luthor signed over everything to him? No. It was just given to him by mercy. If you think about it, Mercy Graves shows up. Like he has some claim yeah. because he's genetically connected in some way. Apparently. Apparently. Well, that's the never- case. Then, you know, I'm going to clone a, 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 never mind. Just <laughs> You're going to clone a mic. I'm, I'm about to get facetious and I'm just not going to, I'm not going to go there. <laughs> You're not going to go there because you don't want to get too angry. I don't want to be too negative. But, you, but no, but it is a true, that's one of the true gripes of why, Instead of actually giving us the Doom Patrol episodes or even the Jason Todd scene, you could have added more scenes with Connor to explain the main story. They should have slowed things down a bit. Slow things down and basically show, oh, hey, Connor, actually give us the Superman scene that we all wanted. And that was the amazing part, too. Because outside of, even though the Gar episode was probably my favorite episode because it was written the best, the most interesting portions of the season had to do with Connor, but yeah. it just didn't really go anywhere. It, it didn't go anywhere. It fell flat. It meandered. He wanted to show everyone that he could do things on his own because he was embarrassed. I'm assuming that he failed to this witch. So he was then going to leave the Titans, become antagonistical towards them, but still fight evil while embracing the evilness of Lex (laughs) Lex Luthor (laughs) and then realizing that's not going to work. So he then tries to join the Titans again. Dude, it's a fractured narrative. You're, you're explaining, you are saying the exact timeline of Connor's story. And if you just took it and just enhanced it a little bit, yeah, throw in another character in there, maybe throw in a Superman to show up. You did it for for the Robins. You I, might as well have done it for for Connor for Superman. I think Lex Luthor should have had a bigger a role. Bigger role, not kill him off in the first episode. And I also think Superman should have been more relevant in the series, just like yeah. Bruce Wayne was relevant when it mattered to Grayson, like. I agree with you that earlier you put, you said like the ending, the ending of Titans was great. We got to see all the Titans kind of how come they to wrapped up how the characters, they wrapped up, right? In a very half-assed way, but I don't like how we got there with their closure. But when you look at their closure, I'm okay with it. The Connor one, the Connor one is what irritates me about that entire yes. thing. Because instead of actually, I don't know, just have Superman show up, get someone to play Superman, I don't think the fan base would lose their collective minds. No. If you decide to, oh, I'm sorry, cast someone as Superman. But the fact that even in the end, we don't really see Superman. It's alluded because Connor's flying around and basically talking to Superman, but you'd never see him. Yeah. And it's like, I'm kind of over that. Give me a break. Yeah, quit fucking, you know, tickling our balls. Yeah, you guys have been tickling our us. Superman. You know, you've been tickling our balls with Superman, with allusions to Superman now in so many things. You mean to tell me that basically the the critical acclaim and positivity you got from casting someone to play Bruce Wayne did not sink into your heads that hmm, maybe maybe getting a, a, a an actor to truly portray a character like Superman so that we can enhance one of our characters in their narrative. Yeah. You are right, Dave, about that. And, like, and, like, 
they succeeded where a lot of people doubted them in casting an older Bruce Wayne. An older Bruce Wayne. In fact, I know during the first season discussions, you, me, Steve, as well as Bob, and I think Paul, okay, very seldom do all four of us, five of us, how many? Five of us agree. We all said, wow, Ian Glenn, Ian Glenn, who played Bruce Wayne, his portrayal blew us away. Yeah. It was not what we expected. I think it was the second season is where he made his appearance. He won us over with a very mature, refined version of Bruce Wayne. Bruce Wayne. They could have done the exact same thing with Clark Kent or Clark Kent. Superman. Can you imagine like if they just stopped blue balling us and yeah. showed us a older version of Clark Kent? Like say, let's say it was a character like Superman from King, uh, Kingdom Come. Mm-hmm. My God, can you actually see how cool that would be to see like Kingdom Come Superman teaching and coming to terms with Connor? You know what should have happened, Dave? Because you and I are on the exact same track here. Lex Luthor should have been the first half. Something happens similar to what happened in the first episode. He dies. He lets Connor down in some way, disappoints him. And you find Connor falling into the, the existential despair of villainy. Let's say he feels like he's more good than bad. Then suddenly Superman comes in for the second half and shows Connor Kent what he can actually be. Yeah. Or even here's the best part. Connor doesn't even know who Superman. It's never alluded that he knows who Superman is. No, he doesn't. Even though his name is Kent, which even is though fucking it's Kent, stupid. And it's stupid. But like, could you imagine? This is what I was like thinking. And I wrote this down in my notes. Like alternatives to make this season better. Midway through the season, because me and you are on the, uh, we're on the same wavelength. Connor goes through an existential crisis. Superman doesn't show up. Clark Kent does. Clark Kent approaches Connor and confronts him. Connor basically lashes out at Clark Kent. All of a sudden Clark Kent stops him. And then it dawns on uh, Connor. Who the hell is this? And then he realizes Clark Kent's Superman. Yeah. How emotionally of an impactful scene that could be of like Clark Kent coming in, not as Superman. He's not going to come. He's not going to show up to this clone that he doesn't know that's wearing his symbol he's not gonna do that he's gonna show up as clark that's superman appropriation bro yeah <laughs> but like he'll show up as clark kent uh, clark and guess what at the end that's how connor gets the kent surname dude how owns the kent surname how mad how awesome would have been because we know that even though lex luther views superman as a threat he also respects him for the most part in a lot of the stories Imagine if Lex Luthor was the one that said you have an S on your chest, but you haven't earned it. You know, what, what, like something like that, yeah. just to show that he hasn't become the person he is. Even he though is. he doesn't agree with Superman's ideology, it's always been clear that he respects the man in some way. Oh, yeah. So imagine if he's the one to say something like that to Connor. Lex Luthor, the enemy of Superman, says you wear an S on your chest but you haven't earned it. Yeah. Imagine if that's how you started the season up. And that was what ended up. You had then this identity crisis, which is what if essentially he was dealing with was an identity crisis. That would have been the moment that would have set that definitive path towards reconciling his identity crisis. But of course that would require thought David and good writers and and that brings me to my next point, and then we're going to close out our discussion. The change in creative hands from season one to season four is, I would say, if we had to pinpoint one problem, let's not just blame Warner Brothers. It is the changing in creative hands. Now, even though the same executive producers, same executive producers were on board, when you look at the season one writers, you have Akiva Goldsman, Jeff Johns, Richard Hatem, Greg Berlanti, Marisha Mukherjee, Greg Walker, Brian Edward Hill, Jeffrey David Thomas. Season four, you have Jeff Johns, Richard Hatem, and the rest of the writers, which are eight, are all new. Yes. They were only in season four or only staffed in season four. 
So you have an entirely different writing room. And Jeff Johns, I believe his script that was for this episode was actually something he had written in a prior season. So technically, we have one returning writer, Richard Hatem, who is also a CW writer. He isn't the strongest of writers. Yeah, I'm looking at the I'm looking at the uh, uh, writing separation for each of the writers of the episode. Guess what? Jeff Johns, he's uh, the one that he's actually credited for is Dude, Where's My Gar? which is the ninth episode. Yeah. And even then it's a teleplay by Jeff Johns. Yes. <laughs> so yes, for when it comes to the writing room, it's a completely different writing room. And this could be the fact that many of the writers from season one and two saw the writing on the wall and they started looking for other work and didn't come back for the fourth season. That does happen a lot in television when there's a change in leadership or a change in studio or CEOs because they know that shows are going to start being canceled because that's typically what these new studio heads do when they come on board. They start closing out or shelving projects that are in the works and they start greenlighting their own things. All right, David. So overall, I would probably give this season a 62%. It isn't good. The directing isn't good. The visual effects is awful. awful. It's hey, awful this year. How do you go from really good effects? Good choreography. A good stunt choreograph, um, choreography, 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 all of it. David just was missing in yeah. this final season. The entire season felt like a different show. If it wasn't for those characters that we have grown to have rapport with, there's no way anyone would be able to say, yeah, this is uh, written and directed and produced by the same people. These are the same characters. There's no way. Yeah. There's no way because and if you, if you look at, I, I look back at like my scores of like the prior season and this season, it's night and day because you gave it a, what a 60, 61, 61. I'm at a 60 with this. And last season I was giving eighties and nineties. Yeah. This. And to go from that to have such a dr drastic drop off, that's why I was like saying we can, I could have come in here today and say, oh, this is all WB's fault. No, 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 no. I started thinking to myself, it's too much of a great drop off and quality to blame solely WB. This falls on the showrunners and the writers. Listen, there's and, plenty of blame to go around. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm not going to disagree with you. When it comes down to it, it is the showrunner's responsibility. I don't, I don't want us to be lumped into the, uh, to the echo chamber of the fans that just want to scream. It's all WB's fault. Oh my God, no! It, it no. is a lot. A, a they lot have it, a lot of blame. A lot of blame is on them. Yeah. But this in particular, no, no, no. This falls on the showrunners and when you and drop, writers. when you drop nearly thirty percent based on your average score. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's obviously the writing room. That's the writing room. And it's, it, it's such, it's well, so you know disappointing. What? Maybe not just writers, David, maybe it's the, like we keep saying the writers and yes, the writers definitely had a, <laughs> they have a fair share of blame to, to hold as well. But, um, but just because you look at the overall dip in quality, like we just mentioned a few moments mm -hmm. ago, that's producing as well yeah and that's that leads me to my biggest one too is my biggest point is like my biggest disappointment is akiva goldsman leadership then leadership yep because akiva goldsman if people listen to other shows in our network know i have glowingly talked about how akiva goldsman has been doing fantastic work in star trek and then i get to titans and originally a long time ago, I remember talking with a friend of mine saying, oh, I'm so excited about this Titans because Akiva Goldsman's tied to this. And I know he can do, he's done a great job, even in the past seasons of Titans. You come up and you drop a turd on my desk like this? <laughs> a steamy hot turd <laughs> and just it's like, for all of us. Dude, I had such high, I have so high hopes for Akiva Goldsman and he drops a turd on me. And it's like, Okay, I'm only going to say that I hope that you don't do this again, but... At least he didn't put it in our mouth. I mean, Exactly. He didn't give me a Cleveland steal. Oh. <laughs> All right. You know, we need to close out today's discussion. 
I'm hoping we didn't piss off any of our listeners. I always feel bad when they enjoyed something and then here we come along and we leave (laughs) our own version of a hot, steamy pile of shit on their desk. So I do apologize if you love the season, but I just was, I struggled. I almost quit watching several times and out of sheer stubbornness and anger, I decided to plow through it. You're hate watching it. You're just anger watching it. That's pretty much what happened about episode five, episode six. I was like, you know what? Fuck this show. (laughs) All right. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you, David. Thank you. Who are you, bitches? Mother of God. Would you look at the time when you came here? You had an hour. 